Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, welcome to this week's edition of Loose Oak. Again, John, Dave, and myself. We're going to look back over a couple of Lazarus like performances and, of course, Ireland's victory against England last weekend. So, lads, uh, we kick off with Ireland first 32 18 against the old enemy. Um, incredible performance, far better than uh, I think most of us were expecting. But uh, two, two brilliantly taken tries. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, most of us were expecting that as the Six Nations wore on, that England would get better and better as their Saracens players integrated into international rugby. And by the time the last game came along, they'd be using us as a, as a duster. Um, and I've certainly been apprehensive coming up to it. Um, but yeah, we proved, we proved them wrong. Uh, it was a great performance. I mean, okay, neither, neither ourselves nor England were playing for anything exciting. We were playing for an upcoming fifth, I suppose. Uh, you know, we could still come forward, but um, we, you know, it'd be unlikely enough set of circumstances. I think we'd need Scotland to win and France to get a losing bonus point, and yada yada yada. But uh, the game itself was just one of those games that you just love to see. You don't beat England. We don't beat England by a huge amount very often. I think was it two thousand and seven was the last time we put as many points on them. Normally, if we beat them, it's by a score. Uh, so to beat them emphatically and to to beat them slowing down in you know in in third gear towards the end of the game was even better. It's those games you can really enjoy where you know you're going to win twenty minutes out or whatever. And even when Bondiaki got sinned, it was only a very slight kind of well, they could come back here. You know, there was it wasn't really. Um, it wasn't really a situation where you were desperately worried. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that actually you raise an interesting point there, John, because um, you know, uh, whatever about the Ireland performance, and we're going to talk about that. Um, England can't be happy with the performance, particularly after after uh, when the active red card. They never, even with the extra man, they never looked particularly threatening, um, and we were always able to keep them at arm's length. And Johnny was able to pick off points with penalties. Um, which is great game management, as you said. Um, so yeah, uh, England, as you say, I mean, we 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 thought by the time they got into the this stage of the season, the Saracens players would have played a couple of games of rugby. They wouldn't be as match unsharp as they had been at the beginning, and that they'd be ready to hit the ground running. And you know, it was it, it was Ireland was the team that looked like they'd had the steady progression over the course of the season, not Saracens. Um, I think I, I, one, one thing that struck me was how kind of Ireland went back to first principles, or if you like, Joe Schmidt's first principles of precision, precision, precision. Um, everything we did was precise. Our cleanouts were precise. We didn't, we didn't allow players to allow players didn't allow themselves to get dragged into rocks. They didn't allow themselves to get dragged out out of position. Um, Robbie Henshaw outside centre ran the defensive line brilliantly. He's a superb outside centre. He really, really is. Um, 
you know, Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray uh, rolled back the years. Um, although Sexton's been having ha- had been having a good Six Nations anyway, but I think I, I think that put the cap on it. And, and, and Conor Murray kind of reminded us of the player that he certainly was. Whether he whether he can do that on a sustained basis, that's the, that's the open question. But then you had guys like I mean, the pack dominated England's pack. Uh, our back row dominated England's back row. Um, and and it all flo- it all flowed from there. I mean, Ty Furlong had a had a had a had a, had a, had a meme worthy game. It seemed that everything that could go wrong did go wrong for England. You know, they they had a, a very strong opening few minutes. They didn't convert any of that uh, pressure into points. And then, like you know, there was certain moments in the match. Like there was, you mentioned Robbie Henshaw. He was coming in and making enormous tackles and winning balls in the air. You know, um, even it's been highlighted. You know, Ty Byrne getting in behind. Uh, pulling in the 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 the, cat, the lifter into the line out, so that it created a situation where they were offside. Even though it was him that created, you know, that sort of tricked the, the referee. That kind of cleared pressure when they were in our twenty-two, or you know, when when we held them up over the line, things like that. When there could have been a penalty against us, like we just we got. I thought we got a, an enormous amount of luck in that game in that game but I suppose you do you make your own look but we just got a lot of the vital decisions went our way even you know they won a they won a scrum penalty and uh, they decided to go for another scrum and then we turned we got a scrum penalty back and you know like that is such a huge psychological dent to when you're the attacking team and a huge fill up when you're defending like you saw the reaction of, of Furlong when that happened, you know, he was like, "Mean city, it is now." <laughs> yeah. When your man tells you you're getting a takeaway, <laughs> yeah, well, you see, it, what what Ireland did is they they kind of created a picture for the referee who was uh, referees like teams who are aggressive and progressive and are going forward and look to be attempting at least to stay within the laws. Um, and Ireland created that picture for the referee, um, so that any fifty fifty calls, he's kind of thinking, well, for the last our Ireland have been doing this, this, and this, this is what I want them to do. So they must have been doing it still. So let's give them that penalty. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 referee management is a, is a very important part of the game and something I thought we did really, really well. Obviously, uh, Johnny Sexton won't, won't agree with regards to the Genge thing. But, um, you know, it, 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 I, I, I thought we played I thought we played both the opposition and the referee very well. What did you think of that Genge decision? Like, it did look like he was pummeling with his elbow, didn't it? Totally. I was surprised it didn't get a red card or a siding. It, 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 was, it was weird on a number of levels. First of all, um, the TMO. Obviously, the TMO has access to more it, uh, angles than we have. And all we saw was kind of a side of frame thing of it. So, don't know. But the TMO didn't refer it to the ref. When Johnny Sexton mentioned to the ref, he wasn't inclined to, to talk to the TMO. And then there was no siding. It was, it was a very weird one. Hmm. Well, maybe it's uh, it's one of those things that the angle we saw it from made it look worse. Maybe it didn't connect in the way that it looked to connect. I don't know. But like you say, they've got more angles than we have. So, um, England's England's uh, discipline was really bad. I think they conceded oh, yeah. seventeen penalties. Yeah. Like as I heard somebody saying, uh, like that's would have been a season of penalties under Joe Schmidt. Mm. 
Okay. You, know? you don't expect a team with the with the players. You don't expect a team with the likes of you know Maro Chaudhry, the Vunapolas, um, excuse me, um, Owen Farrell, Elliot Daly, guys who are leaders. Uh, 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 Youngs, Ben Youngs. You wouldn't expect a team like that to be so ill-disciplined for so long in the context of a game. And they really, really were. There was no. They started off. You know, this, it started going downhill for them in terms of discipline in, in you know the fifth minute, and it didn't get better for the remaining seventy-five minutes. And you'd expect a team with that amount of experience, with that amount of achievement, that the players would kind of go, "Hang on a second, lads. We have to kind of refocus here and we." And, and, and stop giving just stop giving away stupid penalties, but they continue to give away penalties, and we continue to pick them up. Yeah, uh, well, the man you the man you mentioned, uh, Ellis Genge, is uh, is a bit of a penalty. Well, he's a penalty machine, anyway. He's a he's a bit of a hothead. You've got a Toje who plays on the limit, is what you'd say about him. He's a kind of a Richie McCall like um, play on the limit type player um he strays over the limits sometimes but you know that's what you want from a guy like that if you like if you're an england fan he's he's world class you know well he is world class even if you're not an england fan but you know he's he's uh he's known for that kind of thing so that can always yield a few penalties if it goes against you uh Gaines is just a hothead Sinclair actually, I think, has calmed down a bit, but he he certainly has been a hothead in his past in his in a past life, shall we say? Um, he can so, be a reliable source of penalties a lot of the time. Yeah, so that's that's three of your pack that are in around the ball all the time that can can uh, you know can yield penalties. So if you're if you're not having a good day penalty wise, and you know the head it gets in your head, and it gets in the referee's head even more. Uh, it can go badly for you, you know. That's that's where that, those kind of players they can win. It's a bit like uh, your man, the Finn Russell. They can win or lose you a game <laughs> sometimes. But what, 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 I mean, that's that's. I, I agree with that. But what surprised me was that England didn't appear to attempt to do anything about it, even appear to attempt to do anything about it. I remember we were playing Claremont in the Aviva. Lens were playing Claremont in the Aviva, and uh, the uh, Wayne Barnes was killing us at the scrum, absolutely killing us because they were they were the the Claremont front row were taking a loose bind and that was allowing Mike Ross to slip through. Um, and we were getting done for, for um, collapsing scrum time after time, after time. And even though Mike Ross was still in, in, in good shape and, and, and could still have gone further, Lester decided to take him off to try and present to the referee a picture that, okay, we're aware we have this problem. This is how we're going to fix it. England didn't appear to uh, necessarily work for Lester, but England didn't even try to do anything like that. They didn't try to change the picture for the referee. They kept doing the stupid things from minute five, as I say, right through to the final whistle. Yeah. Sometimes it just goes like that. Sometimes you have those days um, and everything you try turns to shit, you know. Um, but like you say... Yeah, you would, you would have to question uh, Eddie, Eddie's this pick, uh, selection, though. I mean, like, to continually pick... Like, they, you know, they were beaten already... Um, in two of their matches um, going into our game. And then they, they continued to pick the guys from Saracens who had very, very little rugby. And even like the, he took off Mako at half time. Um, you know, Farrell didn't look like the old Farrell uh, until he obviously got a head knock. Um, you know, Elliot Daly looks a shadow of himself. And you know, even the amount of pressure that they put on to Ford, he looked a very average player. Yeah, it's, it's well, there's a couple of things like 
England under Stuart Lancaster, maybe a little bit like Ireland under Joe Schmidt, seem to have a reputation of being too honest for their own good, or too honest is the wrong word, but too, um, you know, Eddie's team is more of a nasty kind of vibe to it. It's more kind of, yeah, we're going to smash you guys attitude rather than we're going to play rugby. of the yeah, and, and that's what Jones actually said. And about a couple of years ago, he said, we, yeah. you know, we're going to keep our foot on your throat. So I think. Yeah, exactly. So that, as, as I say, that can, that attitude can win you games, but it could also spill over and lose you games and it's real discipline. So, you know, you got to take the rough with the smooth when you when you when you uh, run over a team with that attitude and you you know you keep like you say you keep the foot in their throat and keep keep pushing, um, you know that's a different vibe to somebody who's trying to just win with wonderful rugby, like Joe Schmidt's teams for example. You mentioned it earlier. Keep the penalties down. You know, win the game by not giving away penalties was a part of their strategy. Stuart Lancaster would be a bit like that as well. He's kind of, you know, comfortable in chaos. Let's try and, um, it's all about trying to create openings, trying to win the game by doing something amazing rather than trying to win the game by just being an absolute nightmare. And like, that's the great beauty of rugby. There's there's both strategy and, you know, the best teams will be able to do both. Like the old likes can take you into a corner and kick the crap out of you or they can, you know, play rugby of the gods and make you look stupid, you know, and that's, that's kind of the beauty of rugby. The bits and some days the big beasts knock the shit out of the little skinny fellas and some days the little skinny fellas run around the big beasts and make them look stupid. So, You, you mentioned Jones. Jones, there are a lot of questions, certainly in the English media anyway, about Jones and his selections and stuff like that. I mean, to a certain extent, it's a bit uh, outcome driven uh, in that if he beat in Ireland, he would have been right to stick with those Saracens players to try and play them back into form and try and play them back into shape. Uh, he didn't, so obviously he was wrong to do that. Um, is 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 the is is the message? Um, it's it, it's hard to know. I mean, like we all thought we 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 said ourselves obviously we're not the greatest rugby minds on the planet. Although you know, um, we thought at the beginning of the season that's what he was going to do. He was going to play the Saracens guys back into form, back into fitness, and it didn't work out. I mean. Billy Vinopola didn't look appreciably sharper against Ireland than he did against okay. Scotland or fitter. Um, you know, he was he was been taken out of it by backs during the match. You know, which 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 normally like like any time we played a, a team containing Billy Billy Vinopola, whether it's Saracens or England, he's always been a huge worry. How do you stop Billy Vinopola? On on that last week, it was like. Well, sure, we let somebody stop him. It doesn't matter who. And anyone's going to be able to stop him. Get Craig Casey on. He'll stop him. <laughs> well, you know, because um, he's like, I mean that because he's tired. Peter Stringer could stop him at this stage. You know, he's just not what he is. And, and to a certain extent, you have to look at Jones now because he's the guy who stuck with that selection. He's the guy who made that selection policy. And it's not like England are short of talented back row players or short of talented number eights. Okay, they had a bad injury during the tournament. Um from a guy who could potentially have been a replacement for for, for Vunapola. But at the same time, they did very, very little progressive. He did very little. I mean, England did not look at threat until Ireland were down to 13 men, and even then only barely. And that's, hmm. you know, that's that, that's something you really, he, he'd have to be questioned. And he, and he has been questioned. I mean, they got to a World Cup final, kind of out-taught and out-Muslimed by South Africa. Now, whatever about being out-Muslimed by South Africa, been out-taught by a South African, it's not the greatest look, you know. 
Um, so he's he's been on a losing kind of wicket ever since then, and this is just more grist to the mill. Well, I have to say that um, international rugby, as we've said many times here, is a conser- is conservative by nature, and it takes it's harder to get out of an international team sometimes than get into one. So when you've got your like you know everybody criticised Joe Schmidt for having his favourites and having his players. It's a kind of having your players that have never let you down. And, you know, I'd say as far as Eddie Jones is concerned, Billy Vonapola, Michael Vonapola, uh, Mauro, Toji, uh, Owen Farrell, they're all guys who A, are world-class and B, have never let them down. And the fact that they haven't played any rugby because they're in the fucking championship would give you a pause, but it obviously didn't give. He obviously thought he could get around that. And in the end, he didn't. And like you say, it's outcome-driven, so... Somewhat, somewhat ironically, I think Mario Otoje has been one of England's better players during the tournament. Um, yeah. You know, it's not his fault that, no, that people didn't fall in behind, as it were. I thought he played particularly well, actually, in some of the games. So yeah, It was just a Welsh um, game. I think he couldn't see that all those penalties, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, he got, he got caught quite but, badly. His timing was very badly off in that last yeah, game. And but, he got coppered. But the other four games, he certainly played as good as he used to play, let's say. Yeah, yeah. But like, but, uh, uh, no, I was going to say, but like, you know, you have to sort of admire the way we've kind of changed our tactics. For a long time, we always went up the line to try and get that try. And sometimes it worked and, and it paid off and we got, we, you know, we got the points. But this time, I just thought we were a lot smarter. We took our points. We kept separation between the, and the score line between us and England. Uh, like Sexton got eight kicks. Okay, two of them were conversions, but he got six penalties. And he just kept that scoreboard ticking along, ticking along and making every moment we were in their half and we get an opportunity to score, we took the score and we just kept that. Um, and I suppose it comes down, they obviously are very, um, they probably, they must put a lot of faith in their own ability to defend. And if you think about it, we were down, um, the only one Bundy went off that they actually crossed the line one, I thought Stockdale could have done a little bit better. He seemed to go for the interception. And Dudu and Keenan had no other option. I think they were down to 13 at that stage. Yeah, it was kind of a 3 on 1. I mean, he almost got a he got a, a kind of a foot on, on uh, the guy's ankle, but, you know, it was an impossible task, really. But, like, my point is that uh, Ireland were so were confident that they didn't need to have 7-7-7 seven, seven, seven all the time. They were happy to take 3-3-3, knowing that they could trust their defence when England did try to attack them. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree completely. I mean, um, that, that that's, you know, if you're only taking... Th- if you take three all the time and your opponent takes zero, then you win the match. You know, and it was the last game in the season. It was a game against England. It was a game that... I mean, it might have been different if we were chasing a championship and bonus points came into it, then you might see a different attitude. But we weren't. Yeah. It was a game against England at home where if we won 6-5, then we would have been still, the, the team would have been lauded, for want of a better phrase. Um, perhaps not lauded, but certainly been praised because, you know, the different games have different motivations within the games. Excluding the larger, you know, picture of a tournament, there are, you know, miniature kind of uh, battles within games and England and Ireland is one of those. So um, all that mattered was the win. And the way they did it was really, really... I mean, it was a really, it was, it was, I said last week that, you know, Ireland are one of the worst teams to watch, probably the worst te- professional team to watch on the island. They turned it around last weekend. They were superb to watch. It was a really yeah. good game to watch. They played really, really well. 
you could see what they were you could see what they were trying to do i mean i i criticized my cat um in that i couldn't see any kind of shape or pattern to his attack that was slightly different i mean okay he went back into the old uh Leinster and Osprey's playbook for the for the for the best move. Well, you know that's okay. I mean, uh, as I, I think it was uh, I, I don't know who it was, but said uh, all art is theft and great art is uh, steal. You know, so that's what he did, and, and it was a great move, and it worked out really really well. So no harm with that. And, and, and guys who had been rising in terms of form. I mean, Keith Earl started off the season not that great, the Six Nations tournament, where I've been getting better and better and better all through. You can see him get improving game on game. Until obviously the England game, final game, best performance. It's kind of what you want. You could have scored one of the greatest tries ever seen in the yeah, Lansdowne yeah. Road if only uh, Henderson hadn't, or yeah. uh, Henderson hadn't knocked it on. But unfortunately, very unfortunate but, there because it was an amazing showed, finish, a fantastic finish. Uh, and like you have to admire as well. Like I was talking to someone yesterday just about uh, Jack Conan's try, and you know. Like we, we were kind of talking about CJ and it been, you know, obviously he's been a great servant for, for Ireland um, over the last 50 odd caps that he's got. But I don't think that CJ would have scored that type of try if he had been in, in Conan's position. You know, he's not that. He's, he's not that kind of a number eight. He's not that kind of guy that just sees what's in front of him and, you know, plays the opportunity. It's very much colour by numbers, you know, that he that would have been another rook. That would have been another that's, step. That's, that's why I always say that I think CJ is a better six than an eight. His, yeah. his instincts lie more in that direction, his, his natural style of play. Um, and I think, I mean, he had his, I mean, he's been very, very good this Six Nations. Don't get me wrong, playing at what I consider out of position, he's been very, very good. But I don't think it's any surprise that his best game was against England, where he played in what I consider to be his best position. Because hmm. um, he looked, I mean, I said it last week, people look at CJ and they go, oh, he's making so many carries, but he's not making much yardage. And, and, and they, 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 they reduce it down to just a number. Whereas, you have to look at, you know, okay, he makes that carry and he might only make, you know, a yard or not even a yard when he takes three or four guys in. And that's what he was doing. He was taking all of England's fringe defence in every time he made a carry and it made space for those outside him. And if you've got a guy like Jack Conan who's a bit more mobile, got better feet, you know, all he needs is a little bit of space. Yeah. Yep. So... Anyway, that was so we've kind of we ended off our season on a high, which was great. Um, just going to just talk about the French Wales game, like that was. Oh, next, that was by the way, next, next time somebody game. tells you that Six Nations is rubbish, beat them over the head with a videotape of last Saturday. It was brilliant, yeah. wasn't it? Just you know, it, it was, was absolutely from start to finish. It was a great day's rugby. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I I, I mentioned the Lazarus-like performance. Well, the first, the first. Uh, moment of rising back from the dead was when France were down 20 30 uh, with you know 20 minutes to go bigger just kicked um, a penalty France had conceded the yellow and you know then they, they got a red on 66 minutes and they were still like you know it was only with 10 minutes to go they were 10 points down they had um, a yellow and a red against them and you know, to show that determination to come back was phenomenal. Like, I mean, the amount of times, if France had had that kind of determination over the last 50 years, imagine the many Grand Slams and uh, championships <laughs> they would have won. Indeed. Well, that's right for you. You never know what you're going to get. Um, 
it was a brilliant game of rugby. I mean, we could do an episode of Blues Talk about each half, never mind the whole game, you know, because it was it was just so much happening, so much good stuff from both teams, as you said. I know Wales were, but what, what, and everybody I've spoken to since, people who don't really watch a lot of rugby, right? Who watch the Six Nations because it's on. The thing they, they, the thing they all said about what, about having watched that game, what a great game it was. They were delighted Wales lost because they were so cynical in the last 20 minutes. I mean, if uh, the non-dedicated rugby fan notices that, then you can be damn sure a referee's going to notice it. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean. Um, if they've noticed that Wales were bit, like, if, if the man on the street knows that Wales have been cynical, they're slowing the ball down, they're giving, giving away penalties, they were doing stuff deliberately, um, <clears throat> even I'm sure a referee will notice it. And the referee did notice it, and he punished them accordingly. I think Wales, I don't think Wales went to be cynical. I think Wales, what Wales did was they saw, you know, a grand slam in their sights. There were 10 points up, as you say, with 10 minutes le- left, and they re- retracted within themselves. They, they got the fear. And they started doing silly things that you do when you're afraid. Um, they, they did that against you... Ireland. They, they did yeah. that against Ireland in the last minute. Do you remember they yeah. they um, and they they had an opportunity and they gave away in in the French game. They gave away a stupid penalty and gave the impetus back to France. Yeah. They had France get back into their twenty-two and attack them. Fear, well, somebody said fear is fear is the little death. And that's what that's that, that's what Wales that's what Wales uh, so you could see it maybe now in fairness this is a, a relatively inexperienced Welsh team compared to some of them some of, some Welsh teams have been you know what what uh, Warren's dad's army younger players new players in that team <clears throat> and maybe they're inexperienced told in that you know Wales teams when they get into a position to win a Grand Slam generally win a Grand Slam. On Saturday, on, on, on Saturday they didn't, which is unusual for a Welsh team. I think that you know, I don't, I don't want to use the two words. I don't want to use bottle because I don't agree. Anyone who steps on the rugby pitch is brave. To chokers, they didn't choke. They were in the. It was ten minutes to go in a Six Nations season in which they'd won every single game. They didn't choke, but what they did was they let the the momentous nature of the occasion get to them, and they withdrew within themselves. Mm. Agree. Yeah, so like on uh, that kind of result, obviously with the Scot- Scotland beating Italy, um, leaves the table kind of a bit precarious still at the moment because we don't know who's going to win. Obviously, France have to take on Scotland next today, has it? Isn't it? Today, right. Friday. Yeah. Um, so, like, obviously, a win for France will put them. Obviously, they need a bonus point um, to take the take the, the title. Uh, Scotland win. With a bonus point, they leapfrog us, so we're not sure what we could either go third or fourth in the in the table. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, not nine nil Scotland would suit us nicely. Okay, well, let's see how it turns out. Anyway, um, I don't think it's going to be nine nil. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. So I, not, other... I have to say that I was. When I started watching that game, I was hoping the Welsh would get a Grand Slam. A, because they were the only ones who could. B, because they started the tournament in such shit form. And, you know, there was the famous, uh, who was it, off the ball, who who wrote them off before the first game and said they were absolute shite and they hadn't a chance against Ireland. 
So I was kind of, uh, with my underdog hat on, was rooting for them to do it. But as the game wore on, like you said, Dave, they, they just didn't deserve to win it in the end. Uh, so I kind of supported them up until about 60 minutes and then the tide turned for me. Um, so, yeah. I, I, You're saying that's what happened, John? You were channel, channeling all the energy towards them and then once you withdrew it... <laughs> I'm not a early gallery, you know. <laughs> he won't be able to show his face in Cardiff again for a long time. Um, uh, side so to everything. But <laughs> in terms of in terms of what um, in terms of what we want to happen, do we want Wales to win a, the tournament, or do we want France to go mad? And we obviously want France to win the game against Scotland because that will make sure we stay third. But uh, do we want? Um, do we want the French to, to win the championship or not? I suppose is the question. Well, I, I, speaking speaking as a uh, with my Leinster hat on, I'd rather that the tournament was won by a pro fourteen nation. Yep. I mean that's I mean it it it, it, show, it brings kudos on the league and it shows the strength of the league. Um, I, I I don't want to finish third. I want to finish second. <laughs> well, it take it it take a funny set of circumstances to make us come come third. Bart, sorry to make us come forth, but are they an even funnier set of circumstances? 9-0, make... John. 9-0. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> anyway. Let's just hope it lashes range. <laughs> well, speaking of Welsh Pro 14 teams, one of them had the other Lazarus performance of the weekend. <laughs> uh, Leinster leading 19-3 with 12 minutes to go. And then we imploded, conceding three tries in the final, uh, in the final ten minutes or so. And I was looking through this through our sides again, just reminding myself, and like we had a pretty experienced side. Yes, the bench was weak. I'll grant that, and you know, inexperienced, not weak, but inexperienced. We had a lot of, a lot of dudes in that team that may not start in the European Cup final, but um, they have a lot of Leinster caps under their belts. And it was a shame that, you know, that we took our foot off the gas. And, well, those, and those, those experienced guys you mentioned are, got us to 19-3. They did. They did. And then they, they all did. came off. Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, you've got a situation where, you know, you've got one team that has everything to play for. You know, it's got, you know, European qualification, the whole lot on the, on the line, right? And you've got one team that has, has its eyes on next week or this week as it is now. Um, and that was shown. I mean, at 19-3, normally a Leinster team would go on and maybe pop in an old bonus point try or two. But because why? Well, it, it, it's unfortunate from a record book's point of view, but in terms of a championship, it matters. In terms of a championship, it means nothing. It's like the last few seasons where we, we had nothing to play for in the last couple of games and imploded. And still came by. I think the year we won our double, didn't we? Didn't we implode against Treviso? And we let a couple of teams beat us in the RDS, but they went on to win a double. Yeah. So if we go on to win a double, suppose, I'll be happy. Or even go on to win this week, I'll be happy enough. I suppose from from a motivational point of view, and from from Leo and Stuart and the rest of the coaches, it was probably the best result they could have hoped for. Insofar as you know, it kind of gave everyone a kick in the ass and said, "Well, look." This can happen if you aren't on the game for all 80 minutes, um, particularly with three huge games coming up in the next uh, three weekends. 
So that result leaves us still seven points clear of Ulster um, on 71 points with 14 wins from our 16 games. So we, we obviously have a huge game tomorrow against Munster. Um, Munster, I think, have a lot of have a lot riding on this. I mean, I was just looking back over the game. We were talking about it on our WhatsApp group. Like, since we last played in the in when since Munster last won the Pro Twelve final in twenty eleven, the two teams have played twenty two times since. We've won seventeen. They've won five. But I suppose more importantly, three of those defeats that we've inflicted on them have been semi-finals. So, you know, all of the big games, all of the really crucial, important, not just a run-of-the-mill league games when one team might be missing a few internationals, but the actual matches that are critical for your season, Leinster have won those three games. And, of course, we're on a, we're on a five in a row. So everything is teed up for a Munster victory. Kind <laughs> of is. It's funny, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people are saying that Munster have closed the gap on Leinster. Um, I'm not really sure, A, what the gap is, and B, if it is closed at all. I mean, after the, after the 2011 final, people said, oh, Munster have closed the gap on Leinster. Then Leinster won four in a row. Uh, then the, you know, the next time Munster won, it was, oh, well, Munster are closing the gap on Leinster. Then Leinster went and won four in a row, and, you know, all that kind of thing. Um the gap between Munster and Leinster is never that big anyway. Um, the gap between any two provincial sides in a provincial derby is, is irrelevant. Um, so I, I don't know what, why there's a lot of talk about closing the gap because, quite frankly, the gap isn't, isn't a feature. Um, what's a feature is what two teams will go out onto the field tomorrow and how they'll perform. Um, we 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 both we've all got inklings of what teams might be and if they are what they look like being. It's gonna be a very, very close match, but it'll be a close match like all the other games in the last, you know, ten, twelve years have been with Leinster coming out with maybe a four point win or something like that. That's that's the way it's gone. If you were to do the over under over the last twelve years, that's pretty much how it's gone. Well even since we've come back sorry John, even when we come back from lockdown. The first game, we beat them by two points. Then we had the semi-final, beat them by 10. And then finally, we played them in Toman Park just at Christmas, or just after Christmas. That match was, was that match postponed and they played it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It was due for the 26th and they played it. They played in January and February. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, anyway, there was only three points in that game. So there has, they're, they're kind of the score lines or the separation between the two teams is quite narrow over those last three matches. But as you yeah. say... Like we we had a lot of starters in the Irish team, a lot of guys that were rotated in and out of the Irish team that may need to be rested, particularly when some might say there's bigger fish to fry. No, like a final is still a huge game, and I'm not trying to talk down the importance of winning a final, but they do have they've like if you take Sexton as an example, he's played three high intensity internationals he's played pretty much 80 minutes for all of those games he's got a, a round of 16 game next week was they lose that game next week season's over but i can just see he might be rotated out of that team i'm not you know that would be just my inkling i, I, I could well see that happening all right although i don't think that playing three high intensity games is the 
exactly. Um, you're not exactly chained to the oar. Um, yeah. But, I, be, I, I, but I, my I, point is, Dave, that it will be six if they, yeah, well, they that, win. Yeah, that, that, might, that might be it, all right. But I, I, I don't see him starting anyway. I mean, I, I, never, I never thought he would be. Would be. I'd say he'd be on the bench. Um, it'll be, what what will be interesting is, you know, how the two teams approach it. Um, you know, as, as we've said, games between the two teams, I mean, anything where there's, if there's a gap more than six points over the last 30 fixtures between these two teams, it's an outlier. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 it's, 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 it's an unusual match. So I'm going to say it'll be brutal. It'll be tough. It'll be hard. And again, the result will be three or four points in the difference. Well, we'll see obviously tomorrow. Uh, I think we're probably on a loser uh, in this podcast. Um, trying to yeah, but the time it's published, the teams will be out. Well, that's my point. If we'd have scheduled this slightly later in the day, we we know the teams. But uh, for whatever reason, it's eighty minutes away. We're gonna so by the time you get this uh, on uh, onto the internet, uh, the teams will already be out. So probably not worth our time discussing it. Uh, my thing, I think I said it last week, was anybody with high minutes, we put them on the bench, and I think that's Sexton and, uh, well, not too many others, like, because, you know, uh, Furlong didn't have a huge heavy load, and neither did Porter, so which one of them you put on the bench isn't a big deal. I suspect Furlong might be on the bench. Uh, and, but, you know, uh, that, that, that's really it. Have guys like that, uh, James Lowe, perhaps, to come off the bench uh, with something to prove might be interesting. Um uh, and, and outside of that, we're actually not too bad injury-wise for the time of the year. We have obviously no, we there's have still a few. Sorry, John. Before you move on, there's a few calls there that they have to make. Like they have to make a call about, um, say Healy. Healy's played a lot. Yeah. Whether they pick him or not. Um, you have our like obviously we're going to miss Ryan. So do they bring in Baird or not? Don't know. Um, obviously scrum half like uh. Gibson Park was away with Ireland for a period of time. Luke McGrath has uh, guided the ship. Concussion. Yeah, but he's guided the ship to get Leinster to this situ- to this uh, point in the season while while the internationals were away for eight weeks or whatever it was. Um, and then you got Robbie Henshaw. Did they, did they, like I think we're, we're quite skinny in in at centre. Yeah, he's the so, one. That's the one position that we're really have a worry with his, his centre. I mean, he's pretty much going to have to start. Um, mm. We're down quite a few. Gary Ringrose being the obvious high-profile one, but we're also down Jimmy O'Brien and... Uh, Connor O'Brien. C- Connor O'Brien's been out for the season and, you know, there's 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 quite a lot of... Uh, there's, yeah. there's not as many options there. And our back, we've backs have been the problem we've had since Christmas in terms of injury. And like, you know, Dave mentioned low. I mean, like you have to reward Dave Carney for, I oh, think he's, sure. uh, you know, like he's played. I think he's uh, played fifteen games for us this season and scored ten tries. You know, like I mentioned, McGrath kind of guiding us there, but the, the guy who kind of got us a lot of the way there was Carney's tries. So you have to reward him in the. For me, um, he's sewn into the number eleven jersey uh, and probably Larmer on the other wing, but I suppose. For, after saying we shouldn't waste too much time discussing one team selection, for no, but I think, exactly I think what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, but I think the team kind of picks itself, and like I, I'm happy to have a debate. I'm fair to have a debate about potential selection calls rather than just assuming it's going to be one or the other. I mean, these are decisions that I'm sure that the coaches have spent hours discussing. 
in the last sure. few weeks. My only last few, I'd, few days. I'd be pretty sure I'd be pretty sure they'll go with, with Carney and Larmer with Keenan at fullback. Um apart from anything else, the only position where we have kind of a lot of depth is Carney versus Lowe. Everywhere else we're a bit skinny on numbers because of injuries to guys like Jimmy O'Brien, uh inexperienced with guys like Max O'Reilly, um, inexperienced with guys like Jamie Osborne. So to a certain extent, some players pick themselves. I mean, uh, Henshaw yeah. plays, whether it's a 12 or 13, I'm not sure. Um, if Frawley was available, I'd pick him at 13. Um, I'd pick Frawley at 12. Um, I think that works really, really well. Um, I think that, obviously, Keenan, Larmer, or Larmer, Keenan, and and uh, Carney pick themselves. The big questions in the second row, like you say, do we bring in Ryan Baird? I mean, um, people have been saying that, you know, Devin Toner and Scott Fardy have looked leggy. No, they haven't. They haven't looked leggy. They haven't. I mean, it, 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 it's all right to look. I mean, Glasgow they didn't look that leggy when they were running around like galloping around like galoots. Um, and it's not as if we're up against the world's most athletic second row combination now. In fairness, I mean, we've got mm. Billy Holland, who's a great player. He's a really great player, um, but he's a great player at a certain level. And then you've got Jean Klein, who is you know the Richard Costello of the twenty first century. Um, mm. So. But like, there's um, kind of you, you you mentioned uh, Billy Holland. Like, you know, there is that kind of factor on their from their perspective that it's you know he's as uh, iconic in their team as Isa or Toner or you know, yeah. Healy if they come enough. off the bench anyway, it'll probably be Byrne and Klein. And uh, yeah, and, and then and then you have the CJ factor as well. Like there's an, or and JJ, you know, JJ's been announced last night that. He's uh, making his merry way down to the Massive Central. Um, you know, so there's a few, well, it's, I suppose with every club, there's a churn around this time of the year yeah. and players are, you know, coming in, but more importantly, kind of leaving. So it's all they can always kind of, you know, say, no, we'll do this for X player because he's leaving. But like, I suppose CJ was a kind of, kind of a, an iconic player and Holland is... We don't know who's leaving Leicester to a certain extent. Things aren't announced. No. So the team, like, I mean, there's, I mean, emotion only gets you so far. Um, mm. when, the, when the emotions left, you have to have something to base. Yeah, you, you still have to have a yeah. platform to play on. And we don't know how, how the, the Leicester players could be doing it for Scott Hardy or doing it for Deb or doing it for, yeah. you know, we don't know who. Exactly. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you got to have Penny before he moves down the M7. Down, or, yeah, or, 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 or yeah. Uh, or Ryan Baird before he goes to Ulster or whatever, you know. And I, just, I just thought I'd start that rumour there just for the hell of it. Um, but, um, so, I mean, the, the, there's always that kind of stuff. But emotion, emotion only gets you so far. If you don't have something to base it on, it actually can be a negative because you can get your emotional energy can be quite exhausting. So, you know, you want to get... I mean, how many times have we... Like, we, 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 we got rid of... Or not got rid of, but great players moved on after we lost Pro 12 finals. Mm. You know, it didn't really work out for us then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be uh, it'll be a great, great uh, game to look forward to tomorrow night. See what Munster do at out half. Actually, you, you mentioned JJ, obviously, and the the, the story is that he's off to play for uh, Claremont or Burn. Um, I mean, Munster have you know they've him. Joey Carberry is is back and appears to be fit again. Um, and obviously they've got Young Healy. So it'll be interesting to see which way they go and which way they go in terms of the twenty three, not necessarily just the fifteen. Um, mm-hmm. or do they even attempt to get to fit both of them in? You know, um, it was interesting Joey that, Carby, that, Joe, that Joey didn't play last weekend. 
against was it Treviso they played? Yeah. Joey's gonna start. Uh, like I, I, I thought this was teeing up for a, a Joey versus um versus Harry Byrne for the the Irish uh, second, you know, person to take over from Sexton spot. Uh, however, it would appear that Ross again this this will be known before or when this podcast comes out, but it appears that Ross is gonna be the ten. Um but it, it is kind of teed up for that. I I kind of like to see that in a way. Maybe Harry is just a few months short of of uh, being ready for a big game like this. I don't. Yeah, know. I think I I think to a certain extent we saw that uh, last weekend that you know he's still a bit callow, um, and he, he maybe maybe he's not quite ready. I mean, it's it's shocking the way that the, the provincial coaches pick the team to win the win the match and not to suit our our media uh, narratives. But um, I mean, would, would would they consider starting JJ at twelve at inside centre alongside Dayende? Might be an option. Um, or even a fullback. Or well, even a fullback. Plenty of options a fullback. If, if only they had someone else and uh, who'd be a, who who could have turned out to be a world class out uh, fullback. If only they had somebody like that <laughs> on their roster. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. He seems to be the, the man in possession anyway. For that's like, you know, it seems to be the one who I mean, talked up as a sexton. It's Mike Halley. Mike Halley's played very well for, for Munster since Christmas. He really has. So, you know, I, I, I think that eases any pressure that uh, Van Graan may have felt uh, to, 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 to move a few deck chairs around. I don't think he will. I think he'll, play, he'll start with Joey. He'll play, he'll play with the two big lads in the centre because they love that. And Halley will play fullback. Yeah, and they've also got Mac Gallagher, uh, who's who's knocking around, who could probably take a twenty-three jersey or something. We'll He's see. just come back in, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's promising, you know. Yeah. But why are they going to fit Zebo in? They're not. They're not going to have the money for Zebo. He's going to want. He's he's going to want to be able to eat his eat his weight in Blamange every week. So. Blamange. <laughs> <laughs> he'll need. He'll need the. Uh, he'll need the, the big books. So. I'd say he'll be going where the money is, wherever that is. I mean, we, we could be wrong with that, but I don't think there's much uh, inclination amongst... There isn't a huge rush within Irish rugby to find the money to sign him back. No, well, I mean, if if you weren't in the middle of COVID and you know, there was a bit more money about, I, I could see Zebo fitting into Ulster or Munster. Obviously, he wouldn't play for Leinster because he said that a million times and... Leinster fans five, might not be happy to have him for either. five million quid. He wouldn't play for Leinster. Yeah, so he said. But like, that's fine. I, you know, can't fault the no, guy. No, no. I mean, we, we we operate in a provincial system. I mean, guys are loyal to their provinces. It's a, it, it, I mean, it is a very kind of it's a parish GAA thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. People people took umbrage with him saying he wouldn't play for Leinster. No, they didn't. Not me. No, no, no. no some, some people. people some people did take umbrage, and I don't see it, see the problem. I mean. The guy is a Corkman. He's a proud and you know what Cork people are like. Cork is going to want to play for his province. I mean, people get upset about lots of things. The things that I get upset about Simon Zemo are, you know, the way he just seems to go wool gathering halfway through games for extended periods of time. That'd be my problem. Um, as 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 a loyal son of Munster, his loyalty to his province is nothing wrong with that. No. No, not at all. Uh, Jerry Flannery would have been another one who swore that he'd never play for Lancer. I just couldn't stomach it. And, yeah. you know, great player, great player for Ireland. Uh, and Connacht. And Connacht. <laughs> 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 well, 
But no, there's a guy who really stuck to his guns and got, and and really really developed as a player throughout his career. It was only injury that really kept him out in the end, you know, uh, calf injury that, that ended his career. I wonder if Ronan McCormick ever swear never to play for Munster. <laughs> the only team he didn't. We've, I think we we have we still not got a full set. We've no we've no player who's nobody's done, nobody's done the full set in the professional era that I can think of anyway. It's always been I three. Can't think of uh, yeah. Keithley did three, Ronan McCormick did three, uh, a few, been quite a few did three, nobody's done all four yet. No. Mm. Watch this space. Yeah, so I suppose there's a little bit of other news, just like obviously the Rainbow Cup seems to be coming around, still no announcement, but it, like I guess maybe they don't want to take or steal the thunder away from the Pro 12, whatever, 14, 12 uh, final. Celtic League final. What's that? The Celtic League final. The Celtic League final. We just call it that for the time being. Yeah. Um, so I suppose they don't want to steal a ton of the thunder, but like. Or the Lions tour, thunder of that. That's yeah. That's why it's so shambolic. They don't want to steal the thunder. <laughs> I heard quite an in. I heard Donald Lenehan talking about the Lions tour, and he, like, obviously he's a former manager of the Lions and a player for them, but, you know, he's, I'd imagine, quite well connected. And he said that basically the the Lions tried to look at hosting it here. It was quite expensive um, to get the stadiums. They were going to be empty, potentially. Um, and so they basically said, they've thrown the ball back to South Africa and said, you organize it, we'll turn up and up to you to do the logistics because it's a tour and uh, it costs $7 million to run the team. And basically, the home union said, well, we don't have seven million to invest. Once the UK government said that they weren't going to underwrite the cost of it, the Lions Committee kicked it back to um, South, Africa. South Africa and said, it's, it's your gig and you organise it and you come up with logistics and we'll turn up. So that's what he said. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, well, that's, like the, that's, that's, that's what they're supposed to do. But the, I mean, it has left the Rainbow Cup in, in, in the Rainbow Cup in kind of floating in some kind of stasis at the moment because we don't really know what's going to happen in terms of where the South African club teams are going to stay, how long yeah. they're going to stay for, when the fixtures are going to be released. I mean, the idea of the tournament yeah. itself is, is is massively exciting. Mm. I, I I read, I read I think it was on Leinster fans, I read it a couple of days, but somebody given out about, oh, the fixtures haven't been done. Like, really, you can't go to them. So who cares whether we play <laughs> the Blue Bulls or the Sharks? On Saturday fortnight. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's not know, like you're going to end up. In, that, in, it's not like you're going to go to Pretoria when you should have been in Bloemfontein. <laughs> exactly. You know. So, like, I mean, like, isn't it not great that our club is playing against some of the best teams yeah, and players in the world? Like, I'm so looking forward to it. And yeah, I'm, I'm also, hugely excited but, by it. I mean, let, as, as, as a kid forget. growing up, and you watch. Sorry, sorry, JJ, as a kid growing up, and you watch rugby special on a Sunday, and once a year they have highlights from the Curry Cup final. That these weirdly mm. named teams with these weirdly named players, and now they're yes, in our league. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but now they're in our league. Exactly. That's yeah, and and very and, 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 and let's not forget that, like the clubs have no money. Like there's, you know, some of the back group not not playing staff or coaching staff, but some of the admin staff, commercial, etc. All have been laid off. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of getting down to critical stage now that when when South African clubs joined the then Pro 14, 
like the, the, the South African TV companies were paying money to show games. The South African clubs haven't been playing in our league, so therefore South African TV stations haven't had to give out the dot. Once they do, once they trigger this Rainbow Cup, I think there's going to be six million sterling released to the club, which is vital to keep the, the show on the road. Like so, you know, this thing is not just for the fact that oh, Leinster could be playing against the Blue Bulls in wherever, whether it's in Dublin or in South Africa. More importantly, that there's some cash coming into the coffers of our club to keep it going that we can go and watch the next year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree, hundred percent. Um, yeah. So yeah, bring on the Rainbow Cup in terms of yeah, it's going to be a warm up for the Lions. I, I, I did, I did think that, that 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 there was an element of karma, a universal karma, in that South Africa had used the Rainbow Cup so often as a as a threat against Australia and New Zealand, and it was kind of vaporware in that it was never going to happen. And they said, oh, we're going to leave. If you don't give us more money, we're leaving Super Rugby and we're going to Northern Hemisphere. We're going to play in the Rainbow Cup. And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Chitty reckon, right? And then eventually it happened and there is a Rainbow Cup and now the universe is going, well, no, you've used me enough. Now we're going to make a bollocks of your entire schedule. And that's what's happened. I think it's karma. Hmm. Maybe. Could be. Well, anyway, boys, as ever, thanks a million. Thanks very much for watching. If you are following us on Facebook, Twitter, or, or YouTube, please give us a like, thumbs up, and a subscription. Cheers. Thanks, man. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.